The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Acts 24, 22-27 But Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, put them off, saying, When Lysias the Tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Then he gave orders to the centurion that he should be kept in custody, but have some liberty, and that none of his friends should be prevented from attending to his needs. After some days, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I will summon you." At the same time, he hoped that money would be given him by Paul, so he sent for him often and conversed with him. When two years had elapsed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, and desiring to do the Jews a favor, Felix left Paul in prison. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to Christ. Thanks, Jordan. Well, good to see everybody. Uh, Good morning. My name is Stacy Croft. I'm the pastor here, and um, it's good to see all of you. And so glad to have these fifth Sundays. It's just a sweet, uh, fun morning, and have everybody kind of together at once and serving together, and and those kind of things. And uh, recently, my second grader—I have two boys. One's in seventh grade, and one's in second grade. Uh, and some of you may uh, have be in the middle of one of these projects, kids, if you're here in the room, um, and those who have helped or been a part of these projects. We had, for my second grader, his animal project. So he had to, like, select an animal on a page, and, um, you know, he told us that when it went around, um, he had, you kind of circle which ones you want, and so many of the ones he wanted got taken, and then he got left with a wolverine. And I'm like, left with a wolverine? Are you kidding? That's like the coolest thing ever. Um, and you know, the funny thing is though, you start typing in like, w- w- what's a wolverine? And then like, all you get is Hugh Jackman, you know, like there's just all this. <laughs> so, um, so we did our, you know, Wild Kratts research, if you love the Wild Kratts, and those kind of things, and, um, which is a show, these two guys that turn into cartoons, and they show you, like, how, what animals do and that kind of stuff. And, but wolverines are awesome. I mean, like, I know we think about them and, and go, okay, but they are um, pretty intense animals. And um, I, learned, I got to geek out with my second grader uh, as he was, like, <laughs> doing this. And they, they have to like, make a costume, too. Guys, there's no, like, Wolverine costume either. Like, so we, we were, like, try, trying to talk him into, like, wearing a Michigan Wolverine uniform or, like, or something like that just to be different, you know, just to be kind of funny. But, y'all, we had to, like, buy three different animal, like, costume parts and, like, piece them together, like, dinosaur claws and, like, all this weird stuff. Like, there's no Wolverine costume. And, um, but they're really fascinating because they live... And they, and um, deep, like they love snow and Arctic weather. And they love having like the snow press all around their bodies at certain times because they get really hot. Um, They have very thick skin. They're incredibly ferocious and yet they're so small. Like they jump out of trees and tackle moose moose and stuff. I mean, they're crazy. Um, 
and yet they live. One of the things about them that's, that's the most fascinating, they cover, uh, you don't find them, um, but very solitary places. They're kind of uh, considered very mysterious animals because they cover hundreds of miles of territory, just one of them. And they're like little weasel things, and they're just mean. And yet they cover all this territory. It's crazy. You know, it, there are a lot of animals like that, and there's not many uh, uh, that we have, if any, in captivity because they, they don't do well in that. They don't survive well because they need so much space. They're not meant to be caged. You know, the similar, y'all know I'm a, a total shark, shark week nerd geek, and um, same kind of things with like the other, one of the other animals on that list was a great white shark. And great white sharks, I don't know if you know this, there are none in captivity. In fact, you cannot keep them in captivity because they all die. Anyone they have tried, and the last time it was uh, decades ago, uh, died within six months. Because even within the tank, it says if they've tried to actually take a baby great white shark and put it in a tank and raise it, it only will grow to the size that the tank is. It's crazy because it can't sustain that. You know, we just read a passage here. <clears throat> it's really an interesting one. Um, and you're going to see in the book of Acts for the next three weeks these great Roman leaders where the Bible um, that speaks of the, the good news of Jesus spreads, particularly Paul, through Paul going to them and speaking to them. And in this one in particular... Felix, who's the procurator, procurator of uh, that area, <clears throat> kind of a, a Roman governor, you see him basically cage the gospel for two years. He essentially takes Paul and he says, you know what, I'm just going to put you in prison for two years. I'm going to kind of visit you. I'm going to kind of entertain, be entertained by what you're bringing. I'm going to hear you out. You can, even the things he says, you know, when he hears something and he's kind of like, uh, I don't know what I think about that. Why don't you go away? He literally says, why don't you go away for a while and I'll call you back in a little bit. But, it, but if we read about what Acts is about, different than any other thing in creation, the good news of Jesus cannot be caged. And that's not just me making a statement. That's just the reality. How did, what was the book of Acts written for? The book of Acts was written by Luke to let us know how did this small little thing explode into the, the whole world? How could it not be kept? It doesn't matter what kind of cage it was put in, it couldn't be kept in it. It, it, it moved out into the world. In fact, the way that Acts was written by Luke, who if you're unfamiliar with the Bible, Luke, if you hear Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, those are the gospel writers. He wrote Luke as a volume one, Acts as a volume two. And he actually begins the book of Acts this way in verse one. He says, in the first book, O Theophilus, that first book he wrote, which was Luke, the gospel, he wrote to a person named Theophilus. And he said this, in the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had been given commandments, uh, given, he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. <clears throat> 
See, the book of Acts is written not just to be some sort of book of stories. It's a book to tell us that this good news about who Jesus is could not be contained. It's not about something that's just stories and, and narrative accounts. It's about a directive reality that transforms and supersedes. And as you, you will see in this passage, it even sets anyone in power or anyone that comes in contact with it in some sense into alarm. We can't just entertain it ourselves with it. We can't just dabble in it. It's either something that transforms us or it doesn't. So we're going to look at, really, um, the figure of Felix this morning. And we're going to look at Felix and his uh, kind of life uh, through this passage. Because he's an interesting character. In fact, many say that, uh, and it was said about him, he was a, a king who really lived his life as though he was still a slave. That he never could get out of that. First, I mean, if you read the beginning of this, verse 22, it says, Felix, having rather accurate knowledge of the way, <clears throat> putting them off, saying, when Lysias the tribune comes down, I will decide your case. Now, what he's talking about is previous to this was a trial. There was the first, one of the first court cases that we see that was the very um, <clears throat> detailed account where Paul was on trial by a group of leaders uh, some high priests, some of those, a sect of the, the Jewish leaders that had said he was defiling their temple, he was causing trouble, and they wanted to bring a case against him. So much so, it's the first part of Acts that we actually see a, a literal court case where there's a, a, a lawyer and a legal proceedings that take place. And in this, they bring against him some charges. And they say this, listen, this is what the leader said about Paul, and they say this to Felix. Since through you, Felix, we enjoy much peace, and since you're by your foresight, most excellent Felix, reforms are being made for this nation. In every way and everywhere, we accept this with all gratitude. But to detain you no further, I beg in your kindness to hear us briefly. For we have found this man, Paul, a plague one who stirs up riots among all the Jews throughout the world and is a ringleader of the sect of the Nazarenes. He even tried to profane the temple, but we seized him. By examining him yourself, you will be able to find out from him all about everything of which we accuse him. <clears throat> Immediately, what you can notice from their argument about Paul and towards this is they want to flatter Felix. And if there was one thing that Felix was known for, he loved to be flattered. He would be receiving that. In fact, his name, Felix, Felicity, he loved the beauty and avarice of things that would just fill his tank. <laughs> if you notice at the end of this, how he entertains Paul trying to bring him in and give him bribes, you could kind of even say that Felix's whole life was basically like a bribe. It was like he was bribing his whole life. <laughs> Whether it was his wife that was mentioned here, Drusilla. Drusilla was, a, was the daughter of, of Herod Agrippa, and she was actually married to someone else, and he tricked her husband with magicians, says, <laughs> to leave 
him and come marry her, to divorce this man and come marry her. It was said often that he greased the wheels of all sorts of Rome using bribery, be it people like Paul or others. He did this throughout, and as I even mentioned earlier, he was known not only for that, but he was just very aggressive and angry in terms of trying to keep the peace. That Anything he could do to make things look as though his life was right, he essentially would bribe his way into it. It was his whole life. <laughs> so when he comes in contact with the way, it's interesting. It says, but Felix, having a rather accurate knowledge of the way, putting them off. The way. The way was known as what Christianity was. <laughs> it got the, the name, the way, as the road, the following. What does it mean to follow Jesus and his teachings? But if you kind of go down this track, you start to think, if he had a real accurate knowledge of the way, what did he really know? For a man, if we, it's easy to look at somebody like a Felix and we can judge him from our perspective. But how much of, of life feels like we're just trying to bribe our way through it? Just making the one thing to the next. If I can just keep peace, if I can just keep thing, the plate spinning, if I can just keep life going, if I can just have everything feel right, then life is right. And oftentimes I think that's where our world gets into. Especially our, our thinking can be, if, if I feel okay, then I am okay. If my thinking is okay, then I am okay. Is that true? How do we know that? It's interesting, the accurate knowledge of the way, he says. I don't know if you've ever heard of this before. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. <laughs> uh, some of you that may be in, in business may have heard of this as well. It's essentially saying in the Dun Dunning-Kruger effect that we have a cognitive bias where we have limited competence and in, in a particular domain, but overestimate our abilities, that we have limited competence in something and overestimate our abilities. I'll, I'll give you a fun, kind of an interesting story about that. When I was a, I remember when I was a youth director uh, before I, uh, years ago in, in Texas, uh, we were at, the, at a beach conference. One of my students came out of the ocean and they, she had dislocated her shoulder. Uh, she came up and it was just hanging down and she was pretty tough. This is not something that happened before. Everybody's like, where's the doctor? What do we do? No, 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 no. I walk up and I go, okay, ready? And I grabbed her arm. And I said, well, here we go. And she was like, okay, let's do this. And I was like, okay, one, two, and pop that puppy right back in. I mean, it was wild. Coolest thing I have never done ever in my life. <laughs> I had no, people still ask me, they're like, whoa, do you know what you're doing? I was like, no, I have no idea. I don't know why I even did that. It's the dumbest, and, and I, we, even in the first service and now when I've told this story, the medical professionals in this room are like, you are, a, why, you did not stay at a Holiday Inn. Do not do that to somebody, you know. <laughs> do not grab people's arms and stick them back inside. The Dunning-Kruger effect is that. It's essentially what we do often is where we in our society read a very limited amount of information and yet believe that we could be experts in it. This happens over and over. 
We do this often in our culture. And if we think about what is the way, what is, what is the road, what does it mean that Felix encounters and has accurate knowledge of it? Essentially means that the way is saying the way, there's a verse that, that may come to mind. If you're unfamiliar with the Bible, that Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. What he meant by that was it was through him and through his teachings that the way is him. So if, if Felix has an accurate knowledge of this, you have to ask, what is that accuracy? He knew a lot about it. And some think and especially believe that his wife, Drusilla, being from her background, had a very accurate and probably more accurate knowledge than he did. But was that knowledge something of, of a nearness taken in, or was it an idea of? <laughs> and this is where it kind of hits the road, is there's a lot of us that can maybe think we think understand what Christianity is or make claims of it and yet not know it at all. That we may make a claim about God's character, something, maybe one thing we've read from the Bible, and make a larger claim of, oh, this is how it all is, this is what Christianity is. Do we really know that? Or is it, are we drawing from what Jesus has laid out or what we think in our limited knowledge. Look, I'll be the first to tell you, I'm, as someone just rereading the Bible uh, in, in just you know, my everyday readings, I, reading through the book of Deuteronomy, it's an Old Testament book, one of the first few books of the Bible. There is a passage in there and you, know, you kind of roll through passages as I'm reading and I'm thinking through things and there's a verse in there I'm like I have never heard this before and I promise I've probably read it before I've just one of those moments where I was like wow it just pinned me to the floor in a book Deuteronomy by the way this isn't like one of those books that's like we reread over and over this is something that nailed me and it's something I hadn't I thought man have I read this have I taken it in we can think we have an accurate knowledge and understanding, but do we? And where does that come from? What informs us understanding? This is where it's really important for us to know that the way and Felix and his accurate knowledge and his place and positioning coming in contact with the way, we have to ask, how much did he really submit himself to it, or yet, did he do exactly what we think he did? <laughs> you know what? I'll entertain myself with it. I'll cage it and have it come to me here and there when I need to. When Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, he's not saying a way. He's not saying way. He's saying the way. And for some of us, when, when we hear that, at, at that moment, some of us may in this room bristle hearing that and go, that does sound really intense. And I don't want to, like, say that I know where everybody in this room is. I mean, you may not know if you follow Jesus. You may be checking him out, thinking through that. The other side of it, some people in this room may say, yes, he is the way. Why can't people get it? 
But if you think about it on both sides of that, where are we humbling ourselves to this? That the way is saying, as Felix is tr- starting to grasp, as he gets alarmed even when, G- when Paul is unpacking the gospel for him, that it's not about us, it's about Jesus. In fact, this is saying there is an exclusive claim to who he is, not just an idea. That even in Acts chapter 21, we looked at this just a few chapters ago. <clears throat> in Egypt, there was a, a person, there was a riot that came up, and in fact, some of the trial that was going on here was Felix was, was looking at Paul saying, are you this guy? Because there was an Egyptian man who claimed to be the Messiah, and when there was a crushing by the Roman government to, to quell the rioting, the, this Messiah ran away. But if you notice, and if you read throughout what this trial talks about, the number one thing that Paul brings up is this. He says, in in retort to what they say to him, and he dismantles their argument so beautifully. In verse 14, he says, but this I confess to you, that according to the way which they they call a sect, I worship the God of our fathers, believing everything laid down by the law and written in the prophets, having a hope in God, which these men themselves accept, that there will be a resurrection of both the just and the unjust. He even finishes his entire argument by saying, other than this, one thing I cried out while standing among them, it is with respect to the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you this day. There is a lot that can be caged. There's a lot that can be talked about, about the difference in the way and anything else. When we talk about different religions, philosophies, ideas, and this is where Felix was coming from, a lot of his accuracy and knowledge and his understanding and thinking, hey, I think I know a lot about this way thing. What is the difference? It is the resurrection. That in Jesus, there wasn't a running away. There's not a hiding. There's a revealing, a resurrection from the dead. And this is the marker of difference. That Paul is wanting to bring with accuracy to Felix to say there is a way. And it is through Jesus alone. It is through him In fact, we see that after some days, it says, Felix came with his wife, Drusilla, who was a Jewish, and he sent for Paul and heard him speak about faith in Christ Jesus. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control coming judgment, and I almost think this is somewhat humorous, Felix was alarmed and said, go away for the present. When I get an opportunity, I'll summon you. He essentially said in the Greek, go away, I'll bring you back when it's convenient. He was alarmed. I think a couple things we need to ask. (laughs) How much does the reality of who Jesus really is press in on us enough to where we are alarmed? And what is our reaction to it? I remember I was asked to speak at a secondhand (laughs) uh, to a, a... uh, on a panel here in Nashville a few few years ago, 
National Geographic had just come out with a thing Morgan Freeman was doing. It was through, um, it was called The Story of God. And they were just kind of promoting it in different places. So it wasn't like Morgan Freeman was there or anything. It was just not, it was not as big as it sounds. Uh, so they were just kind of showing, you know, some representatives were just showing the thing and just having a panel of people and then an, to an audience. Well, we actually had to have this at um, one of the synagogues. There are actually two down, two, two uh, temples down on, um, <clears throat> on West End. And it was me and uh, one of the representatives from that temple and then uh, an Islamic uh, representative and then uh, the panelist who was kind of running discussion. And, you know, they, they, we, everybody watched the thing, and as a lot of these shows do, instead of, you know, highlighting the key differences, they just kind of blend them together, and they say there are. And there are a lot of things that are similar, right, to religions that, across the board about the story of God, what people tell. But it was interesting afterwards uh, when we were doing the panel <clears throat> to talk about what what does it mean? Why, why, is there, why are there three different people sitting up here? And I remember quoting a lot of Deuteronomy in that room because I know that it was, uh, knew my audience. But afterwards, I had a man come up to me and ask or make a comment. He said, it was so good to have a lot of people just sitting up there that just kind of are on the same page and agreeing. And I said, and I was like, well, thank you for inviting us. And, and I stopped him. I said, hey, let me ask you a question. What? Uh, why are you Jewish? And it was a little bit like of a, he was kind of like, oh, uh, well, you know, I come here, I, this is where I believe to be, and those kind of things. I said, then it's okay for you to know that that's an exclusive claim. Because one of the things that I think was missing it's easy to talk about. There's a lot of ethic and a lot of things we share, but when it comes to specifics about exclusivity, it's something we avoid. But it's real, but everybody's making it. And to encourage him, and his eyes got really wide as I said, hey, I, I, I do believe that Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. As much as you are sitting here and I ask you, why are you Jewish? And you would say, I believe this. There, there's exclusivity in these claims. What makes it different? What highlights that? You see, we can talk about things that we share, but what is the difference in why we're in here? What is Paul bringing up to him? Why does he get so alarmed? What Felix is hoping to have is a good discussion. He's hoping to have, as he's heard, man, this is an interesting idea. This is, this is a wild concept of this new sect of religion that's kind of popped up. I've been hearing about you. Tell me what's going on with you. And what does Paul draw out? He says this. And as he reasoned about righteousness and self-control and the coming judgment, Felix was alarmed. It is the fact that the closer we are to Jesus, the more it should change our ethic. It should change our ethic and we realize that we are not the judge, but he is. that it presses in in places that we think, I wish he didn't do that. 
It presses in on what is righteousness and self-control, what Paul is doing. Why, of all things, does Luke write those things down for us to understand, that Paul unpacked for him, that he reasoned with Felix? Because Felix thought of this, the way, and Jesus as something just up here. Oh, it's just like anything else. What's the difference? If the resurrection is what it is, then it means that everything about our relationship with him should be different. Look, this is true in any relationship that we have. If you hold an actual relationship in this world and this life, it means you change for it. You think of the costs of it. You think of what it means to harm the person in your relationship with, how you handle your money, your time, your thinking. Whatever the dynamics are of that, that's on a human level. Imagine that on a divine one. That if we are really in relationship with Jesus, it should press into the ethic of our lives. We should see everything different. And it does ask of that. And it does mean, as he says, the coming judgment, that there is a judgment coming. And guess what? Thankfully, It's not up to us. But guess what? It is him. And what would set Felix as a judge who has set his own terms up, that there is a judge and it is not him. It is the God above. It is someone who holds greater strength than he. And there's no bribe that can get us out from that. Yeah, it would make alarm. (laughs) It's not convenient if the gospel, if it is, and our relationship to Jesus really is, and we do this, we play this game. You know what? Hey, Jesus, that's a little much. Why don't you go away for a moment and then come back when it's convenient? Christmas is coming soon. We'll kind of like come bring you back out when it's necessary. It's not, it's not just a joke. It's something we do in our hearts daily. I was just talking to a group of, of leaders, and we were sitting at a round table just this last weekend talking about how easy it is for us to look up after a day and go, we haven't even thought of Jesus at all. And how humbling that is. Because Isn't it him and through our relationship with him that it should change the way we work, the way we live, the way we think about waking up in the morning, going to bed at night, the way we handle everything about our lives? The gospel isn't just useful. It is transformational. It's not just something we bring when we need. It's not just an entertainment. It's not just, oh, we'll bring you back. And what did he do? He said he kept bringing Paul back, hoping he would give him a bribe, hoping that this whole thing will give back to us. What does it give? It gives way more than that. Look, this table in front of me shows us that there's something much greater about our relationship to God. But see, the thing about this table that you can't do, you can't come and just be around it. You can't come and just smell it or look at it. You have to ingest it. You have to take it in. 
It's ineffective unless you, you do that. And the reason that is, is that Jesus set this table. I, I didn't set this table. Reasonably, by his reason, he, <laughs> this table is set up with tangible elements of, of bread and wine and body and blood so that you know the death, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is what provides this table. And that means the judge at this table is not me. And it's actually not even you. It's him. And you know what's profound about Christianity, different than any other? Is that the judge actually puts himself in the seat to be the one who justifies you. The one who gives you mercy from his own judgment seat. You want him to be the judge. Because I guarantee you, if you're the judge and you come to this table, you will either acquit yourself for all the things that you think you should, or you will come guilty and never come at all. And never believe that you deserve this table. We only do because the great judge of heaven came and died, and different than any other Messiah that claimed that ran, he resurrected. If that's true, then the way, the truth, and the life is one that we can take on and know that we will never die. That we can take up teachings that press into our lives and go, Jesus, this is really hard, and I really don't like this, but I know that you love me in ways that I don't even love myself. And that you are going to transform me more and more like you. Let's go to that God. Entertain not his external things, but what does it really mean to be in relationship with him? Let's stand together.